Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Thanks again for joining us here at Faith in Your Recovery, Season 2. I believe this is going to be like episode number 56. You're going to be episode number 59, Andy. How's that sound to you? That sounds fun. All right. That's as near the start as we can get you at this point, but we look forward to this opportunity with you. Uh, Folks, we get the struggle, the challenge, the stigma, that sense of loss. Whether we're your first choice or your last chance, we believe that with God, together, we will make a difference. Welcome to the battle. I'm your host, Randy Davis, a pastor as well as founder and executive director of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We're a participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement For those battling the battle with substance use disorder addiction, faith in your recovery has become about all things recovery. So, our guest today, and we welcome him. It's good to see him again. Haven't seen you a lot, but Andy, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right, Andy Dickerson. So, why don't you begin by just telling your folks a little of your general story. We'll get into specifics here in a little bit. Tell them what you're doing in life, where you are, how life's going right now, and then we'll go back to those darker days. Okay, sure. Uh, Right now, life is, uh, um, I guess for some people looking from the outside in, they might think that uh, I've got it pretty rough, but really I'm living the best life I've ever lived my whole life. Um, You know, uh, have a closer relationship with my higher power. Um, God's just opening doors I, right now, just things putting on my table where I actually have choices of good things and better things to make. So, um, you know, relationships, uh, sense of community, just uh, I don't know how to describe it other than it's just a wonderful life I'm leading right now. Comparatively speaking, you're in a pretty super place, it sounds like. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Awesome, awesome. So let's go back. Let's go back to your younger days. What was life like for you as a young person? Um, Again, from the outside in, I'm sure it looked really good. My parents stayed together until I was an adult. Um, I was the youngest, so I was a bit spoiled. Youngest of how many, Andy? Uh, five of us total. Um, they're all half siblings okay. and older than me. Um, so there were four of us growing up in the house, and then, uh, you know, they moved off one by one as they sure. got of age. Um, so I was the youngest of many, and then somewhere around maybe ten, I was an only child okay. <laughs> in the house. So, um, but uh, Dad was kind of prominent in the community. He was involved in the police work is a proprietor um, had some some businesses in the insurance industry as well um, he was very active in in a lot of things in the community um, he's a marine um, and so the things that he did out in the community were um, you know 
he was well respected at home. He was a Marine, and when he said jump, he expected us to say how high, yes. not how much are you going to pay me. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it it was rough um, in some aspects of you know just dad's attitude. What it, was uh, home for you during that time? What Ocal? Oh, in Noblesville. Noblesville. Yeah. All right. Okay. Folks, we're coming to you from Anderson, so that's not that far from here if you're familiar with Indiana geography. But life's a long way from where you were, yes, at that age. I know you got into some struggles. You had some some issues, some choices that weren't good. Let's start digging into that, sharing with folks, because I know there's going to be others out there shaking their head, yes, going, been there, yep, I recognize that. Go ahead, please. Okay, in the early days, yeah. Yes. Um, oh, just, you know, teenagers struggle with uh, wanting a sense of belonging or popularity or whatever, um, and, and something... It was kind of unique to Noblesville at the time, and it's probably more prominent now with some urban sprawl. But there was a big rift in uh, economic statuses of the community. Um, The haves and the have-nots, is that what you're saying? Right. There's Morris Lake up there, and there's housing additions up there on the lake, so they're called harbors. So there were the harbor lights and the townies and then, you know, the people that live south of the track and all that. Uh, so there was some of that. It's just uh, as kids coming up and the stuff we get pumped in our head of what's important, you know, that affirmation from our peers. Um, and, you know, I struggled with that like any kid does. So um, what area did you live in? So the I, other side oh, of the I'm, track? A, I'm a townie. I'm a okay. townie. So, okay. yeah, I was very fortunate, um, you know, middle, mid, middle, middle class, I'd yes. say. Um, but, you know, as a, as a kid, I got into some. Uh, you know, drinking and drugging and what age? things like that. I think I started drinking at about age 13. So um, my parents never really drank. When they moved to Noblesville, they had a big um, home welcoming party, you know, for all the neighbors and everything. And they had all this liquor and booze left over from that party. Well, that was 1972. Um, and they just had it stored in the basement. Well, when I... Me and my buddy were 13, and you know, we find all this booze down there in the in the basement, and we you know start taking a little out of this bottle, a little out of that bottle, whatever. So you know, started drinking and smoking about age 13. Um, my mother, she cleaned offices, um, cleaned houses, cleaned offices. It was one of her occupations, um, and I would help her sometimes. And one of those, a few of those, were doctors' offices. Well, they have sample rooms in those places um, for the pharmaceuticals. Back in that day especially. Yeah. So I would, you know, while cleaning, I would make my way in and help myself to some samples, um, you know, take those back to my friends. And so we'd, we'd drink and drug. Do you remember specifically what those samples were? I really don't. Did it matter? It, it didn't matter. I, I tried you know, throwing uppers in one pocket and downers in another pocket. And, you know, by the time I got home, I, I didn't know what I had yeah, yeah. until I was taking them. So, yeah. How long were you into that? Oh, man. That was just a few years, really. Um, by that, three, five, somewhere in there uh, or less? Two, probably. Okay, okay. You know, I would still drink. 
but you know as far as popping pills that that wasn't a thing until uh um i was more like 16 something like that and i started getting into that really um i had i had been diagnosed with scoliosis young and i instead of having surgery and all that we went to see uh uh osteopath it was before we had chiropractors and uh he was very liberal with prescribing pain medication. So um, I would eat, you know, a lot of those, uh, whatever, Darvacets, like they were Tic Tacs or um, hydrocodones or whatever, you know. Um, and I, I worked in nursing homes. Um, they, since I'm a guy, they put me on the heaviest patients, the people that couldn't do anything for themselves. Well, here I am with a bad back. So I'd eat a handful of painkillers and a handful of speed. To get you and through the shift. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then of course, evenings and weekends, partying with friends. We, we do, we pretty much tried to invent any way we could get messed up. We, you know, we would crush stuff, melt it down, soak stuff. And I mean, we even soaked cigarettes in turpentine to see if it would get us high. And just for anyone listening, don't try that. It doesn't. <laughs> doesn't work good in any way, uh, correct? No, no, you puke. Yeah, all right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just as a kid, I really got into that. And I got into some legal trouble then. Um, you Explain know. that, would you please? Uh, friends of my, mine and I, we would do all kinds of things. Um, it wound up at one point that three of us were uh, had decided we were going to run away, leave town. Well, we had stole a car, a bunch of firearms, and all kinds of other stuff. And uh, we actually had a national APB out, armed and dangerous, for us. Really fortunate that it's some, you know, some hillbilly cop didn't pull us over and just shoot us, and you know, you know, explain it later. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, we wound up coming back and went straight to jail. So by the time I was at age sixteen, I'd been to jail three times. For a total of how long? Uh, we really probably should have been a lot longer. Um, my dad said I had a list of felonies longer than my arm. Um, fortunately, you know, I was tried as a juvenile then. I did, I don't know, maybe a month there. Went to Indiana Boys School Diagnostics. They decided to send me, you know, I would be better off going somewhere else. Uh, they were going to send me someplace in Pennsylvania and wound up not going. I was on probation probably from... 15 to 18, okay. something like that. What was this doing to your educational career, your, your high school years? Oh, yeah, it was non-existent. Um, I also worked a lot, um, you know, and I would tell my teachers that, um, you know, I'm here, what, seven, eight hours a day. I'll do work while I'm here, but, you know, I, I don't do homework. I don't have time for it. Uh, so when when they would give me the work to do and let me do it in class, I was doing fine. So, um, but yeah, I really didn't care about my education. I I really didn't expect to live past the age of eighteen, so I didn't really care. What's the matter, right? Right. right. Yeah, this isn't going to benefit me when I I'll never get a job because I won't be alive to get one that'll yeah become a career kind of thing. Yeah. So looking yeah just now I realize I was, yeah looking back. Even at that age, I I didn't really have any hope. Okay, okay. 
Who was the inspiration in your life at that time? Was there somebody there that you felt halfway got you, or at least they were there with the attitude of, I know what you're doing, but I'm going to love you and support you anyhow. Did you have anybody like that that you can, could identify? Um, you know, I guess my mother always was there, you know. Um, we would, there's one thing I would do is I'd take walks in the evenings with my mom a lot of times, and she, she jokes now. She's like, yeah, you, you kids would tell us, tell me stuff I didn't even want to know, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I was really blessed to have uh, my mom who would listen and uh, even to stuff she didn't want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your siblings, mm -hmm. did they have any addiction or, yeah, any kind of issues like this? Um, one of my brothers, he did, yeah. Um, but it, they had moved out of the house, and they, they were gone by then, so they weren't really around. They weren't like a negative influence on me that way. So it, that wasn't really an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was more fitting in with that group that was headed the same direction down that you were headed. Yeah. I mean, the, the motto was party till you puke. And I thought they were serious. I, you know, I took him serious. You were wanting to be the president of the group. Yeah, there we yes. go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I say that lightly, folks. Okay, there's no pride in that, but there's honesty, and thank you for yeah. sharing that. So that's got you through most of your high school time there with what you just shared us. Did you graduate from high school? Uh, I moved out at age 17. Um, I worked and worked and worked. Um, and then uh, I had dropped out, or I was a few credits shy for my graduating class, so I got a GED the next year. Okay, congratulations yeah. on that, for going back and making that happen. Sure. I'm sure that hasn't been a regret. Not going at all. to get that GED. Not at yeah. all. Hear that, folks. Uh, we may stumble and fall, but we can get up and still accomplish. So, uh, yeah. Now, tell us about that next stage of your life. Once you're, uh, you're 18, when did you move out of home? on a, you know, permanent, semi-permanent basis, whatever the case was, and how was life at that point? Um, mostly I worked. Um, I worked three jobs. Um, at once? At once, yeah. So another form of being that that addict, you know, that workaholic is the word we most often use. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it was all about money, status, the girls, you know, that's another all through, you know, high school and early on is, was bouncing from one relationship with a girl to the next and the next, you know, looking for this makes me happy right now. And as soon as it doesn't, I'm looking for the next the next high, you know, in, in the new relationship. So um, that was probably until I was about 23. I just worked. I'd party. You know, back then, we could drink all night and then get a th three hours of sleep, get up and work 12 hours, you know. Um, we thought we could, thought, thought I was Superman. Um, but eventually, um, I was in a relationship. We had a child, and that really changed my perspective on things. Share that perspective, that new perspective. Uh, I remember when they released us to take my daughter home, and I was 
holding this baby and looking at him with, I must have had a deer in the headlights look like you, you, you're going to let us take this thing home. We're going to take responsibility for this on our own. It was really terrifying. Um, but you know, that by then I, I wasn't drugging or anything and I was, I was, but I was drinking, um, when I wasn't working. So, you know, was the baby's mom into any kind of addiction? No. Okay. No, she wasn't. Okay. So how was she able to deal with yours at that point? Well, that's how it was when she met me. So Okay. She knew going in that struggle was going to be there. And right. At least for the the time, she was willing to fight it. Yeah. Well, and at that time, Randy, I was, um, I was a productive member of society doing all the things that, you know, that we're told we're supposed to be doing. Definitely and, functioning. Yeah, I was functioning. I was, I was filling the, the roles put on me pretty well. Um, so she really didn't have, that wasn't really a battle um, for her. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really, and then um, at one point there, uh, my job was leaving. Well, I had, I had joined the military. Um, I was in for 18 months, and then I was released on a pre-entry disqualification. Um, what branch of the service were you in? Army. Where'd you serve? So, um, well, I, w- I was in the National Guard here. Okay. In okay. Okay. So, so I told you I worked in nursing homes. My goal in life was to, you know, be a nurse or a paramedic, something like that. I went and got EMT training. Um, when I went to join the, the military, I had different units competing over me. Uh, there's a helicopter unit down in Shelbyville. That CO there, he's like, you know, join me, son. I'll make a pilot out of you. Um, but there was a mash unit in Indy and, uh, you know, mobile uh, army hospital, surgical hospital, um, mash. And he would, you know, I wanted to be in the medical field. So I joined that. Uh, my MOS was a uh, surgical tech. And uh, I was on a delayed entry kind of um I, I was to go and show up for, for drills and and all of that, uh, but I wasn't to go off to basic training for like six months. Well, it, in that process, just as I was getting ready to ship out, they discovered my uh, back issues, my scoliosis. So, um, they released me then, but it took like another year for them to get get me out. Yeah, yeah. Medical discharge. Yes. So it was. They considered a, a pre-entry disqualification. Okay. So even okay. though at the end of the day I was in for eighteen months, so I had to find a new career. Now I've got you know this this woman and a child that I'm trying to support. I was putting her through school in at Ball State. And you're how old? Uh, twenty-two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um. And then I got on with a, uh, I wound up getting on with a defense contractor, uh, Raytheon. Um, and at one point they were closing down the function I was doing here and moving. Uh, I got an opportunity to be transferred to Wichita, Kansas. And that's when she and I separated ways. Um, she wasn't willing to, to leave her parents and, you know, her, her family support group to follow me out to Kansas. So, okay. Um, at that point I, I just worked, 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 um, drank, <laughs> um, 
bounced from one relationship to another, and then I got married, um, probably 26. So, and she had uh, a child already. So here I am now a a responsible family man again. Um, So I worked for a defense contractor for about 10 years. Uh, Was a senior program manager, government and special missions with them. Getting sent all over the planet, doing all kinds of things. From what you wrote to me in a brief bio, that must have been pretty lucrative. Yes? Yes. some pretty decent money at that time. Yes. Yeah, it really was. Okay. Okay. How long did you do that? Um, All in all, about 23 years. 23 years of that? Yeah. Okay. Then what was the next step that took you down the spiral? Um, yeah, 2012 was like the worst year, I think. It was the beginning of the of the downfall. So uh, my wife at the time and I, my first wife, we were transitioning from Kansas to North Carolina, something, that, something I had always envisioned wanting to be in the Carolinas. We had the opportunity... Um, Got her job out there. She transferred out, and uh, the kids and I had to stay behind for six months, get the house ready, get them through a semester of school, whatever. And she kind of decided she, she wasn't sure she wanted to be a mom or a or a wife anymore out there six you know six months on her own, which I I don't blame her. She had been a mom since she was eighteen. She never really had an adult life on her own, you know, to discover who she was. Sure. Um, but the kids and I, um, we we went out anyway. I had arranged with my employer that I was going out there and managing my team, you know, from afar. And uh, so we went out anyway. Tried to make it work for a few years, and it didn't. Uh, my job changed at the time as well. Uh, more of a commercial domestic function rather than doing the things that that I enjoyed doing the the government and military operations instead of supporting our, you know, serving our country and supporting the men and women in uniform. I was, you know, now concerned about uh, shareholder value at the end of the quarter, which, you know, it didn't really inspire me. dramatic change. Yeah, yeah, it really didn't inspire me. So at that point, I kind of lost purpose. Um, But also... What were your... Your drinking habits or drug habits at that time? Um, you know, I was really uh, not drinking a lot, but when I did, I really did. You I didn't drink often, but when you did, you made up for lost yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I had a Marine Corps haircut, but I let my hair down, and that, and uh, everybody saw it. So, gotcha. <laughs> there's there's more than one campfire I almost stumbled into and, and fired and you know, burned up. Um, but yeah, in 2012, so we had that transition from Kansas out there. Uh, the best dog I ever had in my life died, uh, suddenly. And that's coming up on in December will be 10 years now. My dad died fairly suddenly. Um, unexpectedly. Yeah. I mean, it was about a three or four week notice, you know? Wow. That is quick. Yeah. So, um, that, and then there's the whole, uh, you know, seeing that my marriage was failing. I remember 
Googling, you know, 40 and single. And, like, you know, I was just distraught. I drank a lot during that that period, you know. Um, but there was four years, Randy, through that whole period before that that I just didn't drink because I couldn't. I, you know, I was in a place in my career and I was active in a church, actually, where I had to be functioning and clear-headed and, and, you know, just by the grace of God, I, I, he lifted that compulsion away from me. I didn't drink for four years. Um, what was that like? Uh, it was great. It was great. Um, you know, I, I drank before cause I was miserable. I didn't like the life I was living. Um, you'd filled the void then during that four years. Yeah. You didn't have that. Don't let me talk you into it, but you didn't have the emptiness. Uh, God had been able to touch you in a way that shows you your worth and value. You can do something over here and feel good about it, and uh, you'll see the difference. Oh yeah, it was it was an exciting time of of fellowship and growth. And um, you know, at one point there, towards the end, I was an elder in a church. Um, you know, uh, and then some stuff happened in that. You know, I, I let my guard down. I went running out in my own power. Um, and it, I was not a prayer warrior. I, you know, I talked to God and, you know, kind of blow smoke up his butt and asking him for favors, you know, but not. Santa Claus. Yeah, I, I wasn't uh, asking for his guidance. Or if, if I thought I got it, then I would just go run off on my own and fall on my face. Um, Kiss of death. And, uh, you know, some people might not might not understand it the way I do, but I think if if you're doing things positive in this world uh, for the kingdom and you're not covering your family in prayer and they're not your first mission field, then the devil will get in there. And, you know, if he can't touch you, he's he's going after the ones you love. Um, so I had a 16 year old daughter that just kind of went off the chart. She was a, such a good kid and, and, uh, yeah, she just flipped out. And then, you know, shortly after that, that's when you know the job change and the marriage failure and all that started happening. Um, you so know, the pile grew and grew. Oh, and, and, uh, our pastor of 40 years retired. And so we were trying to hire somebody in and some wolf in sheep's clothing come in and just totally tore up the church as well. So yeah, it was it was a mess. So there was no place of peace to turn. It doesn't sound like no. everything was chaos and <laughs> yeah darkness. However you want to label it here. Yeah. So like 2011 through 2012 and into 2013 was like that, and then also dealing with the job change. Um, 2013 to 2014 and 15. Um, like I said, I was focused more on commercial. I was still traveling a lot, um, but I was domestically. And, you know, I'd be on the road three weeks out of the month. and That's a strain on everybody. It it really was. And trying to, you know, spend the night in a different hotel room every night. Um, you know, I, I, I leaned on alcohol to get me to sleep. Um, you know, I didn't drink that much when I was home, but when I got home, my wife would be sitting there drinking a bottle of wine. You know, it was rough on the whole family, both of us, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so eventually that marriage failed. And then uh, 
I, I went out and like an idiot, just I got remarried very quickly. So, um, and the, to this one too, an alcoholic. Um, she was from a wealthy family, so she was the the country club type, you know. And uh, so I thought that's well, that's how that's what you do. Rich rich people can drink, and, you know. She had a, a sign on the refrigerator that said "Wine." How rich people get smashed or something like that, whatever, you know, how fancy people get smashed. Um, so anyway, at, at, at that point, um, she had a business. She wanted me to retire. She didn't like me traveling all over the place. She retired me. And then all that responsibility for income fell on her shoulders. Some things happened in her life. And she snapped mentally. And then we both drank and drank and drank. Um, and I had quite a bit of money, you know, like it was nothing for me to have 60 grand cash in the safe at home. And I had a pile of gold and silver and all this out on my farm. And, um, unbeknownst to me, she spent pretty much all of it. Uh, we sold everything that we had left, moved to a place in Florida, nice place near the beach, uh, three bedroom house, uh, pool with a lanai you know we're living the life getting ready to start over and uh i was going to go back to work for a defense contractor down there she was uh getting her business fired up and then uh and then one day um i got into some legal trouble so over well i think she didn't like the fact that i could that i couldn't drink as much as she could so. I would pass out, and then she would mess with me while I'm passed out. Um, and in my, so I didn't know this at the time, but I had developed PTSD through uh, my career, and then as I've been with the shrinks in the last year or so, I, you know, I can dig it clear back into the childhood, but really in, in my career, the PTSD was formed. Um so she would mess with me in, in my sleep, like angry. She'd be angry and uh, kind of attack me, push me around. Um, and she shoved me backwards. And as I was falling, I, I hit her, not on purpose, but is what it is. Um, and she called the police and okay. had me arrested. So that was like, she's just about four years ago. I'll tell you what, Andy, I think there's some PTSD in all of us. It's just waiting to come out one way or the other, either in a healthy way or an unhealthy way, whether it's from a broken relationship, losing a dog that meant so much to you. I remember having one when I was a kid. His name was Bozo. Bozo heard my every pain, and all he did was stay next to me. Yeah. Okay. Uh there's other ways, but PTSD is real. It's certainly with the military, but not them alone by any means. So you've led us up, what, into your 40s kind of thing? Late 40s now, yeah. Okay, we're in your late 40s now. How did you get on the trail? You've been sober now for a while. What, about 18 months? Coming close to that, yeah. Come, congratulations Thanks. on that that's big how did you get to that point what started you back up the hill 
where did you find the hope to climb it, the ability to, to set the alcohol, the pills, whatever, behind and start to move forward? Well, let me bring you up to, sure. to, to that point Please. real quick. So, um, yeah, legal trouble in Florida. She and I tried to work things out, couldn't separate it. I moved back up here because this is, you know, this is where my family is. Uh, I had a support network up here. I was trying to rebuild my life up here like an idiot. I let her come back up here, um, try to work things out, and got into basically the same trouble. And uh, so, um, and from and from that, the the state wanted to press charges as a felony. Um, that was just like just pre-COVID with all the lockdowns and everything. Okay. Okay. So here I am up here in Indiana. I was trying to build, rebuild my life, get this, pick up these new charges. Um, so with fel- with felonies hanging over you, any charges, but especially felonies, little violent felonies, your uh, career opportunities are kind of limited. So here I am thinking I'm going to have this uh, trial and be acquitted and be able to move on. And, you know, I'd probably right now be in uh, Ukraine, you know, killing Russians or Ukrainians, whichever side paid the most um, right now. So I really, at this point, I thank God where I'm at today. Um, So they kept kicking this trial date down the road, down the road uh, for two and a half years. And here I am, um, you know, uh, innocent of what they accused me of. And uh, I, I, and my life is going nowhere. I'm stuck, and I just had this hopelessness. I I couldn't get I didn't get involved in anything because I was expected to have a trial and leave. It's not not like they said we're going to have a trial two and a half years from now. They'd kick it down the road right. a couple months at a time. So I didn't get involved anywhere. Um, I was living with family, but they did their own thing. They kept their own hours. So I basically was stuck in my room doing nothing. You know, I would work, but um, I, I was completely isolated, and I had no sense of community, no sense of purpose, no idea. I just uh, fell into terrible depression, so I drank. I had nightmares, night terrors um, with the PTSD. I couldn't, you know, to keep me awake or wake me up when I'm sleeping, so I drank to, you know, to be able to sleep and stay asleep. And I just got into this terrible downward spiral of uh, of depression and anxiety and and drinking to try to cope with it uh, until one day, July second of twenty twenty one, I had a uh, anxiety attack, and I hear people describe them different ways. To me, it's like a flood of of the senses. I could see and hear everything like it's all at once. It's like a um, you know, like how we're focusing on looking at each other right now, you're focusing on my voice. Well, imagine you could also hear everything else in the building and anything else, you know, like at a store, all the motion and everything. It's all has the same focus and it's all flooding in at once. It was just, um, that has to be overwhelming. It's extremely <laughs> overwhelming. Um, I mean, really, it, I think if someone's been in combat before, they understand what I'm saying. You just absorb all the information all at once. It just comes in at the same, at the same focus. Um, 
And this went on for like two days. Um, I drank a half gallon of whiskey to try to kill it away. I got about four hours sleep and woke up in the same state of mind. Um, and I, I finally, I called 911. I was like, I, I, my body, everything was about to give out. I just couldn't take it. Um, so I went to the ER here. They sent me eventually when I would finally let them treat me about nine hours later, uh, they convinced me to go to uh, Community North Critical Care Center. So I, I went there. They kept me for about eight days. They uh, hooked me up with a, a spire to treat me for the PTSD. Um, and they wanted me to have an aftercare plan for drinking. And I was like, yeah, well, whatever. I, I wasn't worried about drinking. I was just terrified of experiencing that with the PTSD again. Um but they forced me to, you know, give them an aftercare plan. So I said, oh, I'll go to AA. And then some guy up there or down there introduced me to somebody in uh, up here in the AA program. And from then on, um, I just actually worked the program, worked the steps, apply the principles, uh, active in the community because I want to be. I've uh, got... That's key. I want. I want it. Got to want. You know, I heard this guy in a meeting. He was actually in a group therapy, not an AA meeting. And he's like, "Man, I'm just trying to get my life back." And I'm thinking, "Why in the heck would I want to do that?" That's what I was trying to drink and drug to get away from. I, I'm trying to build a life now that I don't want to escape from. Better than where you were. Yeah. Or you'll be right back where you were. Exactly. So you went through the. Through AA, yeah. through the steps, you've found some strength, obviously, some support. Uh, you mentioned your higher power earlier, and you labeled that as God. Yeah. Uh, where's that relationship with God now? I know you had that, I think you said, four-year period way back there where you were you were pretty much on top of things, it sounded like, and then you had the fall. Right. Tell us about where you are now. I know you started with that. But that's a good place to end. Okay, great. Yeah, that's, that's a good place to begin and end. I'll tell you what. Um, so, you know, because of being an AA and knowing a lot of people have a lot of animosity towards God, that's why I speak in terms of higher power. I get or that, but I'm glad you went ahead and labeled your higher power. Yeah, then. yeah, okay. yeah. Um, you know, Jesus is, is God. And, um, you know, people don't give enough credit to the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit and I have to be tight every morning when I get up, I go to, I greet God. Good morning, God. Uh, steps one, two, three, you know, I'm powerless over alcohol and really pretty much everything else in the universe. Um, I do believe in a higher power that can restore me to sanity. We're still working on that. And I think that's a daily process probably for the rest of my life, and that's fine. Um, but then I turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And I love the way that's worded because it's not like I'm going to do God's will in my own will and power. I can't will myself to do God's will. I, I just say I'm a, I'm a mess, but I'm your mess. So... And then, you know, I have time and meditation, too, where where I listen. To me, that's submission and surrender. Absolutely. Okay? Uh, you get it. 
that trying on your own got you where you were. Dr. Phil would say, how'd that work for you? Well, you just told us over the last 30 minutes how it worked by not working. Right. So you try a different avenue, and that avenue's God with some submission and trust in him. Go ahead with that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, like I said, I'm living the best life I've ever lived. God's opening doors for me in relationships. You know, I, I figured I'd die an old hermit somewhere out there, but... Um, I have a community of people that surround me now that, you know, we, uh, I'm learning what it, the way God's teaching me about what life is all about is about loving others and learning to be loved. So learning to accept his love, accept love from others and how to love Return others back. That. Where are you with your children at this point? Has that been reconciled at all? Is that, you know, I know you can't cover everything in a day. I get that. Yeah, that's going to take some time. Um, I was really tight. I've got three daughters. I was really, really tight with them um, until they were pretty much out of the house. Somewhere, sometime late in my drinking, uh, I did or said something that's really ticked them off. One of them has come back to me and we sat down we kind of had a reconciliation but you know my kids are 27 27 and 24 so uh they're they're living their own lives um absolutely there's there's we've established there's willingness for us to uh basically get to know each other again because they're different people i'm a different person i feel free because i don't it's not my responsibility to instill any values in them anymore i can just Adult. Love them and yeah, I'm that, done. The adult to adult relationship, even with your own children, is a whole lot different than that responsibility level when you're raising. Them. Yeah, and I, I'm looking forward to that growing. You know, it's been expressed all around that we want to, to you know, build and rebuild a relationship. One's in Philadelphia. One's out in the state of Washington. Um, the other's local here in Muncie. So okay, you know, it, it'll be it'll take time, but we'll get there. Awesome. I. I like that kind of hope, okay? That's what keeps driving us. As we get ready to wrap this up, Andy, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What do those four words mean to you? Um, we got to have faith in something. If you don't, you're hopeless. Um, And it was my hopelessness that led me to drink destructively um at recovery and that takes me back to step two the to restore me to sanity um and i think that's a lifelong process you know i think i think i probably started losing my sanity the minute they ripped me from my mother's womb and started smacking me around so you know there's a spirit in me that um that is excited and growing and excited there's yeah it's a i look at life as an adventure now i'm holding god's hand and he's just showing me this and that and uh it's like you know okay where are we going today daddy let's let's go here there i once heard it said it's better off if he holds our hand because if we're holding his we can let go if he's holding ours he's not gonna let go yeah not being picky with you i just want to throw that out absolutely right he's never let go of me Well, listen, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your willingness to share. 
folks, we just want to continue to give you from our hearts. We want to be raw. We want to be real. We want to share our story because we know that we're touching on the story of many of our listeners. Just remember, when life looks the darkest and God seems the farthest away, he's probably ready to shine a light and appear before you. Stand strong. Stay in the battle. God bless. Thank you. Thank you.